Thank you for choosing this podcast from the Calling Community Church. Our mission is to create space for all people to experience the compassionate love of the Father and to discover the calling He has for their life. Please enjoy the message today, recorded live inside the Wilson Performing Arts Auditorium at Platte County High School in Platte City, Missouri. Hey, uh, my name's Jacob, and it's a, it truly is an honor that Brady trusts me enough to speak with you guys. Um, I'm a little nervous, not because of public speaking. Public speaking is one of my gifts. I enjoy doing that. Uh, last time I spoke, it was in June, so it wasn't football season, and I went way over, so I'm terrified of doing that. So I'm not going to do that today. I promise you, I'm starting to watch now. Uh, If you could um, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Jeremiah 23, that's in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 23, and we'll be going through verses uh, 1 through 6. Um, Last week, Brady spoke about the name of God, El Imanu, Uh, that was uh, described as the faithful God, God is faithful. And that name is going to kind of transition over and roll over into what we're going to learn about uh, God's name that he's going to describe to us in his word today. There is only one instance in the entire Bible that the, uh, the name Jehovah Sikinu is used. And it's unfair to say that because it's found in two locations, but it's the same verbiage, copy and paste it in next uh, 10 chapters away, chapters 33 of Jeremiah. But um, I'm going to read this, and then we'll just break it down as we go through, um, and that will be our time together today. All right, Jeremiah 23.1. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pastures where they will be faithful and increase in numbers. I will place my shepherds over them and I will place my shepherds over them who will tend them and they will no longer be afraid or terrified nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his day, Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. This is the name of which he will be called, Jehovah Sikinu, which is translated in English, several different things. The Lord, our righteousness. The Lord is our righteousness. The Lord, our righteous Savior. There's a, there's a whole heck of a lot of uh, information there. When Brady reached out to me, he was like, hey, I want you to uh, speak on this name, Jehovah Sikinu. I've never heard of that name ever before. Has anyone ever heard of that? Yeah, cool. So we're all in the same boat. It was a stressful week. Um, when I just think of the word righteous, I have, it kind of terrifies me. I, what, 
what is righteousness? What does it mean to be righteous? And the only thing that came to mind was like, uh, be good. Um, so I had to do a lot of study, and it was terrifying. Um, so God is interesting in the way in which he chooses to reveal himself to us. If my name is Jacob Dupin, Jacob Dupin is a husband, a father, and I'm an insurance adjuster. And that's basically all you get with me. Here and there I can do some off-key random things, but that's, that's it, basically. And so if I was talking to Justin about this earlier, if you need a fireman, you don't call Jacob because that's not in my wheelhouse, you call Justin. But if you need an insurance adjuster, you don't call the fireman, you call the insurance adjuster. Unless your house is on fire, call the fireman first, I'll show up second. Um, it's usually how that one plays out. Um, but it's interesting in which, uh, how God decides that he's going to reveal himself to us because last week God, God's name was uh, El Imanu, the faithful God, and this week he's declared himself to be Jehovah Sekinu, which is a compound name for God, um, which I had to learn that term too. What does a compound name mean? Um, and that basically that means God has stacked two of his names on top of itself. So Jehovah is what we would translate when Moses uh, was speaking to the bush, I am who I am. And so Jehovah is the name that's used the most in Scripture. And so Jehovah is I am that I am, or I am who I am. And so then he compounds the word Sekinu on top of that. And Sekinu in and of itself is translated several times into uh, what is good, what is righteous, uh, what is right, what is just, what is justified to be, clear, to be declared innocent. And so God has said, decided to reveal himself is, I am your righteousness. So it's a compound name. You guys get that? And so what we learn from the name of Jehovah is that he has decided to say, I'm a relational God. You don't just get to call me God. It's uh, I am your God of, and then fill in the blank. There's hundreds of names for God. I only got one. Well, I got three, Jacob, Michael, Dupin. Um, that's it, though. It all describes the person standing in front of you, and I'm very limited. And so when you talk about the names of God, he has decided to say, Jehovah, I am that I am. I am everything that you could possibly ever decide to need or want in your life. And so in this situation, and what we read in Jeremiah is, I am the God of your righteousness. And so uh, the God of righteousness, living in the postmodern world, how do we know what is right? And by postmodern, that means truth is up for grabs. Um, and I'm 100% sure that every single one of you in this room has heard the term What's true for you may not be true for me. And so that's what a postmodern world is. Everything is uh, subjective. There is no objective reality. You have to choose what is right and what is wrong on your own cosmic scale. And if there's 100 people in this room, there's 100 lanes of morality. And so when we live in a postmodern world, how do we know what is right? Um, and so in the world of apologetics, which is my jam, if you want to see me go down a rabbit hole, let's start talking about uh, how to defend your faith and the science behind all that and the, the rationale behind all that. That's, that's just, that's my jam. But how do you answer that question? 
Uh, and here's a fun example. We're hiking in Colorado. I was on vacation last week, got in, got in town yesterday, and we're hiking in Colorado, and my, my three-year-old is picking up rocks, and she goes, Daddy, look at that. I was like, yeah. She goes, what is that? And I'm like, that's a big dog turd. And it was covered in flies. And she goes, look at all the bees on it. And I'm like, no, those are, those are flies. And Angela looks at me and she goes, you shouldn't say that. Because now she's running around saying, that's a big dog turd. That's a big turd, Dad. I'm like, yeah, it is. And I'm like, well, turd's not a bad word. And Angela goes, you should say poop. It's more nice. I'm like, well, how, how does that work? One of us is right and one of us is wrong. And he said, who is it? And I think I'm right and she thinks she's right. So my daughter says turd. <laughs> and so you have to determine like, hey, what is right and what is wrong? And what we learn in the book of Jeremiah is that the book of Jeremiah is not a happy book by any means. If, you, if, if you're depressed, stay out of this book. It's a book of impending doom that uh, if you if you read the first the first verse of this chapter that we're in it says woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture the shepherds in this scenario are the leaders of the country of israel and uh, in my notes here it says give a brief history of israel so here we go as fast as possible israel goes into the promised land they've been in the promised land for 800 years 300 and 10 years into the conquering of the promised land and, and being established in the promised land, they decide to get away from God's word. They go into paganism, child sacrifice, and uh, they, they break the laws of the Sabbath. And in, in the time of the Israelites, the Sabbath not only was on the seventh day, you need to rest and you know, satisfy your soul and rest in me and not be a human doing making brick after brick after brick like they were doing in Egypt, but be a human being, do whatever satisfies your soul in my name, rest. And, but every seventh year, Israel was supposed to also let the land rest, and this was twofold. The land had to be re-nourished and taken care of itself. If you're a, a crop guy here, you understand that you need to change out your, your crops and soybean, corn, and flip-flops so you can get the nutrients and everything into the soil. Well, that's what God had designed, that on the seventh year you do nothing and you survive on the six years that came prior. Well, Israel decided to go away with that. And the second fold was they were supposed to trust that God would provide for them in that seventh year. And they threw that trust out the window, along with a lot of other things. Like I said, idolatry, child sacrifice, the ritual. It was just ritual prostitution they brought in. Uh, Baal, Baal poles, they were bent down and, and worship uh, other gods. And what God is saying is, woe to the shepherds who are doing this. So the leaders of the culture allowed it to happen and encouraged it to happen. And there's even instances in the Old Testament where the king of Israel himself sacrificed his own child to Moloch. And so God's not happy with his people, and God allowed this to happen for 490 years. And so before we started this what is God's name thing that we're going through in uh, the church today. We just went through like a speed reading of the, the history of the Old Testament, and we learned that in Daniel. Daniel, oh, uh, found out that in the book of Jeremiah, we're only going to be in exile for 70 years. Well, the 70 years of exile is because of the 490 years of disobeying God's word. And so 400 divided by, 490 divided by 70, you have the math worked out, that's how many 
seventh years, they did not listen to God's word, so that's why they had to be in exile for 70 years. Okay, so during all this chaos, God introduces himself as uh, Jehovah Sekinu. And so the Lord, uh, the Lord of our righteousness, um, we, we need to know that righteousness has to do with the standard that God requires for his people to be acceptable to him. So there is, unfortunately, a right and a wrong way to live, and the Israelites figured that out. They learned the lesson the, the, the hard way. And so when we leave that standard, you go to a questionable standard. And for example, in the book of Judges, it's written that everyone was living questionable standards because as it says, everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes because there was no governing standard. This was the time before the kings. And so that kind of sounds like our culture and the situation we find ourselves in today is everyone does what they believe is right, regardless of if, it, if it's from an objective moral standard which is what God says is right or what you think is right. And there is a difference between being a good person and being a redeemed person because by whose standard are you good? I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that the Nazis believe that their standard was good. An entire society agreed with that. There's a story of a time when the, the trains of the Jews who were going off to be exterminated would drive by, and sometimes a train would stop by a church. And the people who were inside of that church were asked, hey, what were you guys doing, or how did you cope or deal with the fact that you could hear the Jews screaming for help and requesting help? And uh, the people in the church said they just sang louder. That's awful. And they thought that was right. It's not. And so when we say God, the God of our righteousness, that means that God has determined and created a standard in which it is right to live. And that, that way, if you deviate from that standard, you go into questionable territory just like the Israelites did. We need to know when we are wrong. If we don't know when, when we are wrong, Things start to happen. If we don't have a standard by which we measure what is right versus what is wrong or righteousness versus evil, then we will make up and adopt our own or somebody else's. This will result in chaos in your home or chaos in your church or chaos in our culture. And I'd like to give you an example of chaos in the church or people being led astray by their rulers. And I just saw this. Uh, flipping through the wonderful world of Facebook, which is another rabbit hole we could all go down. Uh, this, this church, or I'm sorry, this seminary, it's, ca it's called Union Seminary in New York City. Did anybody see this post this week from the Christian Post? A couple of you. Um, I'm just going to read the excerpt, and then you can just understand where I'm going with this. Today in chapel, we confessed to plants. Together we held our grief, joy, regret, hope, guilt, and sorrow in prayer, offering them to the beings who sustain us, but whose gifts we too often fail to honor. What do you confess to the plants in your life? So these are people who are learning to be pastors in a seminary school who the pictures show a kid literally bowing down and confessing his sins to plants this is paganism, and this is another example of how people are being led astray by leadership, and this is a perfect example of what's happening in Jeremiah and the, and the verses that we are learning. 
So you need to know when you are wrong. You also need to know uh, how to get out of wrongness. Um, Some people choose their values by their feelings, and feelings are legitimate, but they are not dependable because these things can change so much. Uh, What were your feelings like in sixth grade with the girl you liked? Even the next week, those feelings were different, and so these things don't change. They just get more complicated as you grow up to be an adult. Um, If there is no hunger for righteousness, that is because there's a, a spiritual sickness, and when spiritual sickness sets in, It's because we no longer want God's standards in our life. We know this becomes persuasive or pervasive because when you tell people God's standards, they'll get mad at you. And so if you want to do a little checklist in your own life, here's a couple of questions to wonder if you've allowed spiritual sickness to creep in. So try telling someone who is struggling with weight what they should be eating. How would the person who's struggling with weight respond? Try telling a teenager what you know is best for them. See how they respond. How would you respond if someone said, this is what's best for you? Try explaining God's design for marriage to a young couple living together. Uh, Try explaining God's design for sexuality to anyone today. What's their response? How do you feel about that? What's their response? Because what we're we're learning in Scripture is that there is a right and a wrong way to live. And that the, the being, the ultimate being who created all those things gets to determine that standard. Do you agree with those standards? When someone up here and they're preaching and it's a hard subject, it's not them making that up. If you disagree with them, you don't disagree with Brady when he sits up here and says something that's hard to swallow. Brady's not making it up. It comes from the word of God. Do you agree with the word of God? That's a hard pill to swallow when it comes to some of these more difficult passages in the scriptures. But again, God is in control. God is sovereign. That should take some of the burden off of you and make you feel better. There is a right and there is a wrong. Try telling someone on a budget that they should be giving God first, be giving money to God first, that God should be coming first out of their paycheck. Or try giving your cell phone to your wife unlocked. Let someone look at your internet browser. If you're having weird feelings in your gut, get it corrected. There is a right and wrong way to live. You can't delete your internet browser from God's mind. This is supposed to be the normal and natural way in which we're supposed to live. We're supposed to receive correction and heed it. For example, I have an accountability partner. His name is Nick Prohaska. He's the owner of the gym that I uh, frequent. And I showed up one day, and I was laughing. And I was like, hey, did you see the, the post I just put on Facebook? And he turns around to me in an instant and says, I'd punch you in the face if you said that to me. And I said something about it. He's like, uh, shame on you if yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he was like, if you ever told my mom, shame on you, I'd punch you in the face. If you ever said shame on me, it, we would have a difficult conversation. And to have that correction, to have someone step in and say you've done something wrong, everybody needs that in their life. Or else you're going to go off and do some really dumb stuff. 
I encourage you, get involved in a small group and find someone that can say that to you and correct you. I, can, I broke down. I confessed to him right then and there. Was, I just knew in an instant that I was in the wrong. It's difficult when someone tells you that you're wrong. But how do you know what is wrong compared to what is right? So this is supposed to be normal and natural to receive correction and heed it. Shows where we stand in the midst of God. It shows that we've lost our love for rightness. And when we lose that, it's because we have our own convictions about wrongness. So what we've learned so far is that Jehovah is the God who is relational and he wants to relate to you. Sekinu is the God of your righteousness. He wants to relate to you in such a way that you know what is wrong and right. But why do we need to know who is righteousness and what is righteousness? And I'm going to go through several scriptures here. You don't have to follow along. I'm just going to try to establish a base in which we all know in the bottom of our hearts this is true, but we're rebellious creatures, so we like to think it's not. So man has no righteousness, and we are lost and cannot find our way on our own. Okay? Romans 3.10, there is no righteous. There is no one who is righteous, not even one. There is no one who can understand, and there is no one who seeks after God. Isaiah 64, 6, all of us have become like uh, the one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Filthy rags in that, in that terminology is the term, that a, the rag that a woman would use in the Old Testament to clean for her menstrual cycle. And so imagine that the best deed that you could ever imagine doing, and when I say things like that, that reminds me of a Catholic friend I had in high school who was just bent on the idea that if I sacrifice my life for you and I die but save you, it's an automatic ticket to heaven no matter what. Okay? That is like throwing a maxi pad at the throne of God. It means nothing to him. Jeremiah 17, 9 the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? John three nineteen through 20. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for the fear of their deeds will be exposed. God and sin are irreconcilable. That's a hard word to say. I probably butchered that one. The two cannot be made to live together. It's like asking a doctor to go into the operating room without washing his hands. It's just going to destroy the whole process. They can't, they can't coexist. Righteousness is important to be obtained, but man alone cannot do it. Psalms 51, 5 through 6. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. It's a very high standard. Faithfulness in the womb and conceived in sinfulness. So we've learned through all these scriptures that there's basically no hope for us because we are evil. We are conceived in sinfulness. There's no one who's seeking after God. And the heart is deceitful above all things. So if you don't agree with those things, it's because you're deceived by yourself. The problem is, is that we are human and we are sinful. If God's name is righteousness, 
How does that work when we are humans and have limitations? And this is where we find his answer. In verse 5 of Jeremiah 23, it says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. So this is, uh, the righteous branch is a symbol of offspring. Uh, This is an Old Testament prediction of Christ who is called the righteous one. He is the only one who has ever lived up perfectly to the standard of God. The way that this was accomplished is very important. This was a, it was the miracle of his birth, which we, uh, choose, or which we celebrate as Christmas. God himself fertilized the egg of Mary, bypassing the participation of male sperm, so that the father determined the gender and the nature, while the mother provided the humanity. In Christ, you have deity fertilizing humanity, giving birth to the God-man, Jesus Christ. Because deity fertilized humanity, deity protected humanity from being contaminated by sin. But don't think that Christ had, had it easy. Just because Christ was fully God and fully man doesn't mean that he had an unfair advantage on you. And I always thought growing up that's true, God had an unfair advantage because he knows all things and yet he's a human so he just knows not to do them because he knows what's right and wrong and he's God and you can just go down that rabbit hole and make up all the excuses you want. But if you're in the military or if you read history, the easiest forts are the ones that you don't have to barrage that hard. But if Satan himself knew who Christ was, how much more would he go after that fortress and bar- uh, attack that fortress, bombard that fortress? How much harder would he throw all of his weapons at that to see if he could break Christ? And if you look at Christ getting baptized and going into the wilderness, how many of you would have just given up on the first temptation that Satan gave? I mean, most of us would give up with the idea that we, wouldn't, we could get away with something without being caught. And so Christ didn't have it easy, and nor were the results easy for Christ either. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin so that to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The credit of sin was placed on Christ so that whenever someone accepts Christ, his credit of righteousness is placed on them. So the reason that I'm going to heaven and the reason that you're going to heaven if you are found in Christ is because your debt was paid with credit, the credit of Christ. I don't know what Dave Ramsey says about credit, but this is a good kind of credit. So the question begs then that what, is, what do we do with this credit from the, from the point of acceptance? We're not designed and just to sit here and wait for heaven. Christ died for you and provided credit for you and created righteousness in himself for you. Jehovah Sakinu, I am the God of your righteousness. It's for more than just waiting to go to heaven. So what do we do with this? This idea of, um, we, we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Christ has more for us to do other than just wait around to die. So what do we do with this righteousness? Jesus came to give us so much more. In John 10, 10, Christ Christ says, I have come that you may have life, and that life to the full, or I like the term, I've I've come that you may have life, and life abundantly. And in the 23rd Psalm, it says, my cup overfloweth, David says. It's like, 
Christ died for us so that we could not just go to heaven and experience heaven, but he wants his kingdom to be found and established in you, and that should be going out to the world. People should see a difference in you because of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. So what does this mean for everyday life? The spirit that is within us, that was given to us, came alive when we accepted Christ, and that spirit only feeds on righteousness. A lot of us are sitting here wondering today why we're just clunking along in life and we can't really get a hold of what God's calling is for our life. I know I've struggled with that. A lot of us don't understand why the Christian life is so hard or I don't experience growth or Paul writes that you're still on milk when I'm ready to give you meat. And we just don't understand what's going on. Well, the spirit that came alive in you when you accepted Christ as your savior, it will not feed on what you've fed yourself to that point. And if you continue to feed yourself things that aren't righteous, if you continue to bring in all the junk and accept the junk that you're watching, listening to, following on Facebook, getting involved in, if, you're not, if nothing's changed, if the old man is still in existence and dominating you, the spirit that it, of righteousness will not feed on what you've been fed on. Wrongness gives the devil legal rights to your life. So if you continue to feed, your life will not change. If you continue to feed it what you've been given. Ephesians 4.24 says, Put on the new self, created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. This literally means to put on Christ. Romans 13.14, Choose for yourself, or I'm sorry, close yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about what to do or to gratify the desires of the flesh. We try to establish our own righteousness as humanity, but our righteousness and standards are too low. Isaiah 64, 4. Romans 10, 3, since they do not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. If you plan to be righteous, you need to hang out with righteous people. Not good people, Good by whose standards? You can be good and not go to church. What does that mean? If you hang out in the drug house, you might find yourself doing drugs. If you want to be righteous, you need to hang out with righteous people. You also need to be in the Word of God. So the beautiful part about all, how these first two weeks that we're going through the name of God come together is this. That Brady talked about uh, the, my faithful God and that this, this name, Jehovah Sikinyu, is the God of my righteousness. He says that he's going to restore his people and bring them back to the land. Verse 3, I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I've driven them and will bring them back to their pastures. So I don't... No, if you guys know a lot about the history of Israel, but God drove them out. The, the kingdoms were broken up after Solomon and his sin. Uh, concubines and wives, a thousand women in his life. 
The, the nation was fractured into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The Assyrians came 100 years to take the northern kingdom away. 100 years before Babylon took the southern kingdom away. Humanity, us, we have no idea where those ten tribes are. The, the northern kingdom. The, Judah and Levi are the only two tribes that we know uh, as, as humanity today. We know where they're at. And so... Uh, we have no idea. There's a show on Netflix called Chasing, Chasing the, the Ark of the Covenant. It was pretty interesting. They, they followed some tales of some of these uh, Israelites went into Africa, and they thought that the, the Ark was a huge war drum, and they actually found a massive war drum that dated back a couple thousand years. And they did some blood and cheek sampling of the tribe there, completely African, um, come to find out they had a Jewish DNA. And so just because we don't know where these tribes are at doesn't mean that God himself doesn't know where they're at. And in the end times, God declares, even in this verse, verse 3, that I will gather my remnant and my flock back, and I will put shepherds over them. And I don't know if you guys know this or not, but in 1948, God brought his people back into the land of Israel. 71 years ago, another portion of this prophecy was fulfilled. Israel, for the first time in its existence, or in the church's existence, Israel is now a nation. First time that's ever happened in history, by the way, that a people can be scattered out of their land, get new languages and a new culture, and then come back together to control and own their own land again after thousands of years, and then have... And, and their language is still intact, their religion and their culture is still intact. First time that's ever happened. That's a faithful God. The principle for Israel is the principle that we have today. God knows that you are scattered and broken, and he's ready to fulfill all the promises that he has for you. He is, but you have to be able to bend the knee and understand that you need righteousness and that he is your righteousness. And how we learn that is, is we learn that in Romans. Romans chapter 5, verses, uh, verse 1. And then uh, the worship team can come up too. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's incredible. That is an absolutely incredible sentence right there. You have peace because you're justified through the righteous one. What's it like to have peace with God? You can have peace with God in an eternal sense that you are saved through grace through the blood of Jesus Christ and have peace with him there. But do you have daily peace with God? What would it be like to truly have peace with God? And I think one of the most beautiful sentences ever written, Romans is the love book of the, of the, of the world. One of the most beautiful sentences ever written is found in Romans 5, verse 8. I'm sorry, let's, let's start at 6. And before I read this, I want you guys to know a couple of standards that the Jewish people had at the time that Paul was writing this. 
To the Jew, righteousness meant that you kept the law. That's it. Thou shalt not kill. I won't kill you then. But Christ came to establish a higher law. If you hate in your heart, you've already killed them. It's been elevated. So, to the Jews, righteousness meant that you kept the law. Goodness meant that you kept the spirit of the law. So, two completely different things. So, we read in chapter 5 of Romans, verse 6, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. And the most beautiful thing ever written. But God demonstrates his own love for this. And for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You're not good. I can't believe that the God of this universe looks down at us and even allows us to worship him. Some of us don't even allow the people we don't like to talk to us. We walk the other way. Or we block them or unfollow them. But the God of the universe looks down on us in all of our darkness and all of our disgust and not while we were righteous, not the, the, when we were on the good path and walking for God, but when we were lost and raging war against him. He died for us. That's incredible to me. And that's the God that we worship and love today. The God of our righteousness. So in closing, I want you guys to think on that. What if you saw yourself flawless in the eyes of the Father? How would life be different? What would it like to have peace with God? What would it be like to have peace with God? If you're at peace with God, you're at war with the enemy. Life doesn't get easier when you accept Christ. It gets harder. But without peace with God, you can't war right against the enemy because you are warring towards righteousness instead of from it. I, was a, I listened to some guy talking about righteousness because I was studying it, which that really hit me. You're at war with God before you become a child of God. And not everyone is a child of God. That's a hard truth, but when you hear someone say, we're learning about the names of God, so this is what I learned about the name of God, that you can take God's name in vain, not just by saying, oh my God, but by lying about his name. God does not help those who help themselves. That's a lie. That's taking God's name in vain. Cleanliness is not godliness. That's taking God's name in vain. Very interesting study. When you are made right with God, the enemy has nothing left on you. So if you're struggling in life, are you at peace with God? Do you have peace with God? Eternal peace with God. 
if you're an old believer here and you're clunking along and you don't know what's going on, are you back in your old ways? Are you hanging out with righteous people? Are you in a small group? Are you pursuing righteousness the way you used to pursue other deeds in your life? 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Joshua looked out over the promised land and said, Choose this day whom you will serve. I have set before you righteousness. And that's it. That's all you get to choose. Everything else is less than me. So have you chose righteousness? Or are you still in the dark because you're afraid that your deeds will be exposed? I'm going to, I'm closing, I'm done. I know I went over by four minutes. I apologize. But I'm going to invite you guys now to come forward. Uh, Justin, will you come forward if someone needs some prayer? If you need eternal peace, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, but you want to experience what it means to have the burden of eternity lifted off your shoulders, I, I am... Justin or myself would love to pray with you. If you're struggling with just the clunking through and not understanding why life isn't getting better and I need to deal with some things, I need some correction and I need some prayer and I need some love, we'll also be up here to pray for you. However, you're more than welcome to come and pray for yourself and pray with yourself and pray with God and deal with God. Today is the day of salvation. But today is also the day that you can be right again with your Father. Thank you. Thanks again for choosing this podcast from the Calling Community Church. We hope it leaves you encouraged. If you need more information about the church or need to talk to someone about prayer or faith in Jesus, please visit our website, thecallingcommunitychurch.com and fill out the contact form. We look forward to hearing from you and hope you have a blessed day.